1: Our guest on our latest episode of Soundtracking has probably been mentioned almost as many times on this podcast as John Williams and Hans Zimmer. Warren Ellis is a musician and composer who is a member of Dirty Three, Grinderman and Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and has also written several film scores with Nick in addition to his solo projects. Now, Warren was kind enough to join me whilst in isolation at his Paris studio to talk about his career and... Well, this strange and worrying crisis humanity finds itself in. Before we get to that, a word from our friends at Babbel. Now, given that you probably have a little bit of time on your hands at the moment, now presents the perfect opportunity to learn a new language or just brush up on one you studied at school but has long since been forgotten. Maybe you're homeschooling like me, but you haven't got the foggiest idea when it comes to French, Spanish or German. With its clear and simple interface, Babbel guides you through your learning journey in a funny and smooth way. It's designed to get you speaking your new language within weeks with daily lessons, teaching real life conversations through interactive dialogues. Lessons are lovingly created by over 100 language experts. That is real people and not a translation machine. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages and the teaching method has been proven to be effective across multiple studies. Babbel is available as an app or online and your progress will be synced across all devices. Try Babbel today. Just go to babbel.co.uk or download the app for free. That's Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.co.uk or download the app to try for free. Babbel, learn a new language and make it your own. And so to the lovely Warren, who we can't thank enough for joining us, we'll begin with a cue from his most recent score, which is for Arno Bichet's beautiful documentary called This Train I Ride. It's called I'll Hop Trains for the Rest of My Life. You still good? You can still hear me?
2: I can, yeah. You still good now. Fabulous. I'm just um, going through my phone.
1: Yeah, that's great. It sounds brilliant, this end.
2: Oh, good. Yeah, they're awesome. I've used this many times for recordings.
1: <laughs> yeah, great.
2: Yeah. Is, where would we, we, be? we do before? I know.
1: Happen. Where would we be without technology in this particular state as well it's so big be-
2: well it's pretty incredible actually because uh keeping everything close and yet we're sort of so cut off it's it's kind of amazing really yeah where are you in the world i am in, in uh in paris just outside of paris and are you well are you okay yeah i'm okay we have it in the house um i my wife has it she's okay she's had it for seven or eight days now. I got my kid out of England. I was working. Yeah. So last weekend we was kind of a bit anxious. I yeah. Work out what was going on, but I, something you know. Yeah. I've been following it for, I'd say, a good sort of month and a half, uh I, I guess. And and also Nick Nick was incredibly sort of uh he seemed really aware of it as well. And I've been we've been working a lot together lately, so it was always on the table, you know, like what was going on, but I didn't see this coming at no,
1: all. No, I don't think uh, anyone did, really.
2: No, I don't, and, and you know, I'm taking it very seriously. I'm, I'm kind of isolated in my studio. I'm living in there now. <laughs>
1: yeah. We just moved out of London just before Christmas to out in Gloucestershire. Perfect timing, to be honest, but it's just been, just to be able to let the kids kind of get some fresh air in the garden, my two boys, and we just started homeschooling today, which has been fun. I know absolutely yeah. jack shit about science, I discovered today.
2: <laughs> oh, I know, it's terrifying.
0: It?
2: My, my older now, they're like 18 and 19 and a half. But, yeah. um, I, you know, living in, in France, I remember being absolutely mortified when, when I realized I couldn't keep up with the maths I was doing in <laughs> primary school. Yeah it's just <laughs> confounding and and, um, and and then the rest of the stuff you know it was in French I just forget it you know like I felt like I felt so useless all my kind of images of helping my kids went out the window
1: yeah well listen we, we, the wonderful we, thing about this is that we can just you know I've been hoping to keep this podcast going so that I can give people a bit of rest brilliant. and within that it's a lovely way of kind of going oh listen if you haven't seen this then So much stuff is available, you know, on streaming and on demand now that it's almost allowing people to take a breath and catch up with things that they hadn't seen or haven't watched or listened to for a while.
2: Yes, it it sort of feels it feels a bit privileged to say it's a great time to sort of read and that and watch things and listen to them. You know, because I have to say, when I look around me, so many people are stuck in apartments with their yeah. families and stuff so I, I can't imagine the duress that you're under it seems a time to actually that you have to internalize things in a lot of ways it's the strangest of times
1: mm. yeah,
2: Their but- only reference is books and films um for this sort of thing
1: yeah yeah exactly
2: it does feel like we are we're, we're, it hasn't even started really you know mm. like it feels it feels like it's you, you know like i mean i've been we've i've been locked down since last tuesday yeah. And it feels barely like the beginning, you know, like uh, uh, watching the sort of press conferences of Trump and Johnson just give you no sort of I know. hope. Boris Johnson looks terrified.
1: Doesn't he? He's like, just got – Rightly
2: so, too. Yeah, I mean he's like, dead
1: behind the eyes but with this kind of yeah. fear.
2: Yeah, and Trump is terrifying too because he's just becoming more and more insane if that's possible. Yeah. It's just totally reprehensible what he's doing. It you know, at a time when the that country needs somebody, you know, with such a poor infrastructure for medical care and all that. Um, and he's still having a pissing competition.
1: Yeah, I have to say when I watched the um you know, kind of when when it when it was it last week I think and and Macron did that speech about uh, you know, kind of, you know, we're here for the people and about what the government were willing to to put up for people in terms of just sort of financially supportive and all that kind of thing and just how much he made those two look so incompetent and just he I just felt like he was a kind of league of his own to be honest in terms of how he stepped up to that kind of even before we're in the position we are now with it you know to get him worse he was just there and willing to kind of offer the people of France are it's a lifeline. De- it's definitely
2: very lean and it's, it's lean and encouraging, you know, what he's doing. Like yeah. Merkel is like that too. I find her fascinating. Yes. Yeah. She's, she's really kind of great like that as well. I, I've always liked her. Like I think there's there's something – there's you know, you, you can see this sort of aspect of a leader that yeah, you need. And totally. you can see everybody's turning towards these people.
1: Whether um, you believe in all their policies or not, it's the same with Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland. You know what I mean? She's a fantastic leader. Don't agree with her policies. But I think just in terms no. of stepping up and being a, a, a person who you who you trust, and you go, you can ask for help, and you know yeah. she's going to deliver.
2: Yeah, exactly. You need to step up. I, I remember, like Francois Hollande was terrible, you know, as a thing. But when when the when the those sort of terrorist attacks happened, he was incredible. Mm. You know, he he just got up and he he suddenly just rose into something. It was like he, he was what everybody needed, you know, yeah. at, at that point. Like, and and politically, you know, he's the biggest failure ever in, in, in most unpopular, I think Macron beating, was beating him for unpopularity at, uh, what? towards the end of the year with the, the sort of strikes and the, his sort of attempts to repackage things, that, you know, the retirements and all that. But actually, in these times, it actually draws out what you hope is going to be leadership qualities. Because, you know, looking at the the sort of thing on the weekend with Boris Johnson and the, the two other people there everybody was looking at them for what do we do yeah the world is looking at these people now like it's it's um uh, extraordinary
1: yeah well listen should we talk about a little bit about work stuff and you're, yeah, one, fabulous. you're wonderful i mean i i watched them um, the train i ride um last week and i loved it i thought it was a fantastic journey and i right. want to almost encourage people to sit by a window with the window open so they can feel the air brushing through their hair whilst they watch this kind of documentary because it does really physically take you on a journey with these people i think it's fantastic
2: yeah it has such a, a an extraordinary spirit the, the documentary, like uh, I hope it gets some c- kind of broader release because it's so marginal and uh, you know it's such a it's a very small uh, documentary. Uh, it, it, the the guy who made it, like he he just reached out to me via email. I don't even know how he got in touch with me, but he'd been self financed for his first two documentaries. They were about women as well. Yeah, and um, this one he 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 initially set out to. He tracked down the photographer who took all those incredible photos yeah. uh, Mike Brody to track him down because he was curious why somebody the whole kind of photograph all at his feet would just throw it all in. And he, he sort of took those series of images with Polaroids, you know, of, of train life and the communities around them of these, these sort of transient communities. And uh, he... Went back to being a mechanic, and, and he was really fascinated by it. And he met him in America. The guy wasn't interested about it because it all sort of landed badly in the end because his friends got pissed. He made money, and and they didn't. And so, he, and he just never took himself as a photographer. He just wanted mm-hmm. to take these. He, he found the Polaroids in a in a in a trash, you know, the the films and stuff like that. So he was really interested by this, and and the guy just said, "I'm not interested in talking to you." So then Arno was on on sort of uh, online chat rooms and stuff like because there's there's communities up there of people who who do this sort of thing, this train hopping. And he noticed that uh, there were women who did it on their own and he wondered why. So he then sort of set about meeting these people and asked one day one of them if he could go with them. He wanted to know why they would do this thing that's so dangerous. And I think when you when you see the video, you understand that it's it seemed incredibly sort of prescient when I watched it Mm -hmm. because there were women who had uh, obviously troubled pasts and and and, you know some darkness in in the past and and rather than be a victim to it, they found that this helped them overcome it by Mm -hmm. being responsible for themselves and and the the kind of actual I, I think the sort of. The, the sort of way that they rise out of it is so like beautiful and, yeah uh, it's, so, it's so extraordinary and it's so encouraging absolutely um i really like that that uh, that it's it's about regular people who who are kind of trying to work their way out of something that's yeah. been thrown on them and and that they've taken the situation into their own hands uh, i found that incredibly empowering and inspiring you know the and and then actually i i, I sort of I mean, he sent me he sent me a couple of images, and I thought they were so beautiful. And and I had a piece lying around, and I sent a couple of pieces to him. Yeah. And uh, he then edited uh, like a five uh, like a piece into sort of like a five minute snippet that he'd put together. And he came to Paris, and I met him, and he showed me, and I I just thought, on the strength of that, that even if the rest of it was half as good, it would be something (laughs) special.
1: It was a night time saw a welder in the train yard welding on a car or the track. I saw the arc reflecting off his hood and all the sparks flying. And it was only a few seconds, but that stayed with me for for years. People telling me that I couldn't be a welder because I was a girl. It's like people told me I couldn't ride trains or travel by myself because I was a girl. survive, don't need a problem solver, don't need a savior.
2: You right now, I, I quite often do that with things. Um, also, the, the freedom that you have with smaller projects like this is really kind of liberating. Yeah, it's, it's it, it it allowed me to work in a certain way to free things up for me. Like I find that much more interesting than jumping in the the usual path that I know. Like a film like Bad Girl, a little sort of Australian sort of drama slash teen drama horror film. Yeah. Um, that psychological thriller or something, you know, that one again, you know, very small budget, but I, I just recorded it on tour in a hotel room when <laughs> wow. I was touring with Dirty Three in Australia. And I mixed it on the flight on the way back with a pair of headphones and a little speaker in the on the plane, and then referenced it in my car and and <laughs> made a couple of tweaks, and that was
0: it.
1: That's so, amazing. So,
2: It's a bit sort of uh, like now, you know, you have to work out how to do things yeah. to, so that the process continues, you know, because for me it's about making things and, and that's what I, what I kind of, you know, I have to, at the moment, you know, I want to look after my family and yeah. continue working in some way.
1: Yeah, same.
2: So, you know, uh, um, it's it's kind of great, the, the the accessibility that we have at, at, to, to things that enable us to continue Mm. Uh, working in in some in some fashion
1: i found the um the score for the train i write i thought it was so there's such beauty and tenderness in it uh you know at the opening that's really mellow but you can sense a kind of there's a, a kind of darkness behind it but almost as the as the film goes on and we come to get to know these women better and we kind of see their strength and that they're not Putting blame on anyone for their situation—they actually relish the situation they're in, and they they thrive on it really in a way. And the the score really complements that with its kind of tenderness and and the way that you've the journey of the score almost alongside the narrative.
2: Yeah, I I'd um I'd actually gone to see a, a um a, ret- a retrospective of Vingadores at the Grand Palais in Paris, and they were projecting. Parts of his films all across the walls and stuff, and it was absolutely breathtaking. And and the the the, the Paris Texas scenes that they showed oh, just blew my the, mind. Like I remember the seeing the Rocky Road soundtrack to that. It's just yeah, uh, I mean that and Wings of Desire. Um, there was a couple of the films that just stood up head and shoulders. You know, like they were just so extraordinary in in that format. You know, they were massive, like on the, on the walls, and they were like 180 degrees all around the Grand Palais. And and that gave me the idea because there was such beautiful narrative mm-hmm. in, in, in the documentary with women, what they were saying, these little internal meditations, because he, he he literally kind of jumped on the train with them. He he'd never done this train hopping before, and, and uh he told me, like I was fascinated how how he did it, and he said he the first time he went, he was so scared. Um <laughs> He, he just hung onto the rail because you, you're sitting outside like you see in the documentary. Yeah. You're actually you're not in, in a train. You're outside and you're hanging on to the, the sort of railing. He said he couldn't let go. He thought he was going to die for 14 hours because they jumped <laughs> on the train and it didn't stop. And he said you you can't imagine the noise. You can't imagine how cold it gets, the rain, and you cannot imagine how much it shakes around. And he said if you get on a carriage that's – doesn't have very good suspension. It's just like it's like an amusement park ride, one of those amusement park rides oh for fourteen God. hours. And he said he thought he was going to die. Like, he, and he's like a big guy from Lyon. You know, he's an old punk uh, <laughs> from from Lyon. And uh, he he sort of had this system of just charging up enough batteries for two weeks, and then taking like twenty cereal bars from a, from a sports store and a backpack, and then uh, jumping on the on the train with them and. He said he also had no idea that you had to jump off. So these women just like jumped off and he said he could never work that out because you have to jump in the opposite sense that you think you should jump. So he sort of just jumped into this kind of thing without, without any clue what he was doing. Um, it, it was wow. kind of a mad story and he said, you know, like you, you, you don't shower for 10 days or, or for two weeks. He said he caught a bus one time, and he thought someone had died on the bus, and then he realised it was him. He just smelt, and he had to jump off and buy a bottle of really lousy perfume, you know, in, in a truck stop. Um, but you know, he and and the, the thing I actually loved about it is the, the sort of closeness that he got with them. Like they really let him in, which I found yeah. a real kind of sign of him as well, you know, like uh, of the exchange. Between him, even though he – because he's the only person there with them, he, he doesn't have any other crew. That is, is really moving as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I basically kept making stuff up. I, I, I sort of make things on – I started doing it on the train with this idea. I don't know if you saw the the liner notes. No. Okay, so, so what happened actually was I, I had this idea – to record it on trains um, and the metro because I was taking the train a lot in 2019 and it was while while we were putting Ghosting together and I was going up to Berlin and I was in London and you know I was heading to it was sort of recorded all over the place that record and I was really transient and um, I just thought oh, maybe I can record this on trains because the the, the budget was, was tiny and You know, there was no studio, I couldn't do it in a studio and and as I said, I I kind of like these projects that enable me, give me a lot more freedom, you know, than just sitting down and approaching it how I would in the studio. Started recording things on the metro, and I would, and I have my laptop, and I'd have my iPhone, and record stuff on there, and and uh, I have sort of ideas that that I hadn't used for things, and I just sit on, I'd get it on the metro or on the Eurostar, and I would just start sort of messing around um, and making pieces up, and send them to him, and, it, and it's it actually started it was an idea I had, uh, I thought oh maybe this is an approach, and then. Uh, Brian Eno texted me because he was in Paris and and, uh, we sort of been communicating but never met over probably a period of 18 months or something. He just texted me. um, I'd been at a therapy session and I was walking out of the metro and he texted me saying, you know, would you like to... uh, come and watch an orchestra rehearse. And I'd never met him before in person <laughs> and uh, I I well, of course. You know, so. <laughs> I went I went to the uh Chatelet Theatre of Chatley the Chatelet in, in, in Paris now they were doing this Russian kind of installation called Dow. This uh was rather strange uh thing project and he'd done the sound installation so you know, I find myself sitting watching this orchestra, <laughs> this Greek orchestra. Uh, this this uh, orchestra, I think they're actually from Estonia, uh, by uh, this Greek conductor. And I'm sitting with Eno. You know, wow, he's leaning, over, he's leaning over to me. You know, like going, listen to the bass and stuff like <laughs> this. You know, and like uh, you know, Eno's like the guy that's in probably in the fabric of everything that I do. Like Eno's oh. the guy that. I go back to, and I'm suddenly having this incredible moment, you know, mm-hmm. this, you know, guy who's shifted so many things for so many people. And, mm-hmm. and then he's like, do you want to come and eat some cherry dumplings? <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, you know, thanks a lot, you know, um, but, you know, it's lovely to meet you. And he's like, no, no, please stay, you know, come and eat with us. So I ended up spending the whole evening with him. And uh, wow. I said, oh, I have this idea, you know, I'm, I'm working on this thing and I want to, record the music on trains you know and I told him about the documentary and he said what a great idea and his face lit up and he was the right guy to tell that to you know (laughs) he didn't shut it down which you know can be done and so he was he was like oh yeah you know in the 80s I I bought an open rail pass and I just traveled across Europe for a month I didn't know where I was going in the morning and I just sort of like pick a place at the station and get on there and then find a hotel and he said it was just the most fabulous experience and you know, after that, he's he's a great. You know, he told me he's a great advocate of train travel and stuff like that, and and um, that encouraged me to, to approach it with this sort of spirit and playfulness. So I, I sort of like this serendipity that happens working on films. It's sort of something that I've done since day one, I think with Praise, the first score yeah. I did with Dirty Three, where, you know, I, I realized that we had no idea how to score a film. And what we could suggest was look, we're gonna jam for two days and if <laughs> something there, you can use it and we tried to do one cue and it was an absolute disaster so <laughs> we just sort of you know sent him you know like a couple of hours of jamming and he edited to it And then the proposition was the next thing that, yeah. that, that I, I worked on a few years later. And again, it felt very much like that. We, we made that score in, I think, four days or something like that. Wow. Just sitting down and just bashing ideas out like we would do, trying to get ideas together for a band. Yeah. Um,
1: that was one thing I wanted to ask was whether it was, I guess, you, the journey that you've had in, in, in writing score must have kind of, you know, Changed over the years. Like I love that, that, you know, that idea of with praise of you just going. "Mm, I don't know. Let's just jam. Let's just make some music.
2: Well, I guess you go into any situation armed with what you have, and so you have to approach it in that way. I'd never had. I'd had a experience working with people in bands in Dirty Three and the Bad Seeds. You know, I'd had experience playing music, but you you form your own way of doing something, and and particularly things that seem terrifying Mm -hmm. are, are interesting to jump into even if if you think you can't do it and you don't do it then turn up and you fail at least you've tried and so uh i guess in these situations like a you know you think okay well how do i know what what approach do i do this and and can it work and um i i actually it's I probably, you know, some of the approaches changed, but it more or less stayed the same. too, certainly the way that I work with Nick on the scores, you know, in the last since the proposition and the films that I've done on my own, there's a certain sense of like, um like I, I I've probably queued. I, I could count them on on probably two hands how many actual cues I've done
1: to in, picture, yeah.
2: And and actually, I feel really kind of confident in that area because uh in doing that because i know when something does fall into place and you see these beautiful accidents happen Mm -hmm. um they're actually encouraging you know and and you know i don't know i guess i guess you just develop like anything you do you develop some method along the way as you're going
1: but i guess because you have such a brilliant background you know, in writing music and, and the way that you've done it, be it for, you know, for yourselves, Dirty Three with Nick, with Grinder Man, all, and, and for all the score stuff and, and all the theatre things as well that you've worked with over the years sort of thing. It's it's about an emotional connection. Is that what you're looking for?
2: I'm looking for a creative connection. And then I'm, I, I I actually, for some reason, I have this ability. If you put a pile of stuff in front of me, <laughs> I just go for it. And I continually buy things. And I'm fascinated by the possibility of things. So, mm. I, for me, it's like the less I have something, the more exciting it is. You know, I'll buy a yeah, synthesizer yeah. and try and work out how I can use it. Obviously, it's not all just about chance and stuff, because then, you know, we sit and manipulate things. But I, up until now, like, you know, Ghostine, everything I've done is it's sort of diving into the unknown a lot of the time. And the things that you don't recognize are the things that are, or the things that sort of kind of seem a bit like, seem scary, mm-hmm. are the things that you have to gravitate to. Absolutely. Um, rather than what you know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, hopefully you're kind of moving forward in some way and away from what you've been doing. And, and, you know, that's the only thing that's ever driven me, um, really is to, to try and find a, a place somewhere in, in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I remember, I really remembered doing the proposition and having a bunch of music. We'd just sit down and play and play and play, you know, for hours. I didn't even read the script i mean nick wrote it obviously that one yeah but i didn't actually read it And and the day before um i saw a cut of the film i'd never done anything like this before so you know i went in and saw a cut and with a bit of temp music put to it but there was hardly anything it was just sort of such a sort of like uh like you know we were always like one step behind everything because i was still editing it it's Mm -hmm. is the story of films it seems we were always one step behind what was going on. And we worked with Jake Jackson. Uh, that oh, Jake. It was the first time we Jake. worked with Jake, who, who we've worked with on everything we've done, I think, except one film. I remember uh, Gerard, the, who was sort of trying to edit, doing the music editor. He said, come and have a look at this. And he sort of laid out a track that, that we'd done, and it was the opening cue in the proposition, you know, when he sort of does his speech. And it just sort of played out perfectly and everything landed beautifully and nothing was touched on that piece, you know. It was just like put in and, and I'd never thought about making music for film but I had a, I did have a thing in the back of my mind that was obviously you can make music just see if it works. Yeah. If it, if it does, not it will, I mean. So um, I've kind of operated like that pretty yeah. much since, since day one and, and accidents – happen then um and you get these beautiful things that just occur and there's a space and a sense of there's a sense of air yeah and also you get a great counterpoint going on because you're not trying to force things in in any way
1: with something like um the road when you have this incredible piece of literature by cormac mccarthy and then john obviously wants to put his creative stamp on it with his film can you remember the kind of journey of that that scoring? And, and did you had you read the book and were
2: you? Oh Yeah, I'd read the book. Um, I'd read the book. I, again, I don't think I read the script. Uh, I read the book of Jesse James as well, but um, I think I read the script after I saw the film. That was a kind of rather prolonged because producers were kind of not Getting the film, they thought, you know, they had Brad Pitt, they had Jesse James, but they had this meditative kind of mm-hmm. film that was long, and you know, it wasn't what they what they were expecting. So that was really problematic. That film, in, in a sense, that uh, Andrew's vision was wasn't <laughs> what they anticipated.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. So it was it was um, that film seemed constantly up against, I guess, you know, the powers that be. But um, I think Andrew ultimately got the cut that he wanted with that film.
1: You want the director's vision to be the thing that shines through rather than producers who have, you know, the five pence worth.
2: I guess you do, but, I mean, that's what they're there for, but you do need some guidance sometimes because you get so, and you want to hope that the producers that are on board, and it's not always the case, that they have some taste and that they can instruct you because... When you're working within something like that, you sometimes can get so lost. And I know this mixing records, it can take just somebody to say, like, hey, you know, da 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 da, and you go, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, like I, I'm, you know, I, I'm at an age where I actually like to listen to people's opinions. When I was 30, I didn't, I wasn't interested at all. <laughs> I mean, you know, it'd be just like, fuck you. But a lot of that was <laughs> more out of, I guess, fear of my own incapabilities and fear of being questioned, you know. Like I I sort of had to work out that I needed to listen to people in order to grow. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, making music for film would give Andrew stuff and he's like, I don't like it. And we're like,
0: what? What the? You know, <laughs> what?
2: Like, you know. And actually Andrew pushed us back in and if that score is good, it's because Andrew made us go the distance because he – luckily, you know, had had this kind of idea for what he wanted with the film. Yeah. And he could articulate it and send us back in again, you know. And that was a very new experience for me, you know, working in a band. You just, like, sit in your own little world. And I've never worked in a band that's been accountable to a record label. You know, for better or worse, I've just been left to my own devices, basically. And the bands that I work with have been left to their own devices. And as a result of that, you, you get this kind of mentality, and then you sort of find yourself in a in a situation where you're you're actually like a team player, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know you're contributing to this kind of big project, which is a very different thing. And 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 actually, I've I've learned that the letting go in that process is actually incredibly liberating. And and Jesse James taught me a big lesson with that 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 you can walk into a room. Having let go of an idea that you thought was like so great, yeah, and you just like put ego and all that crap behind you, yeah, and just go in there with an empty plate and go, okay mm-hmm. and see what happens and you know i've I've seen a piece that like Bob come out of a situation like that, and when that happened, uh, it was like, okay, you, you know it's good to let go like and I think that that was a that was a real le- a point of a learning curve for me. I, I remember getting, um, re- reading the book and, and, you know, I think like most people, a lot of people took, <laughs> took that book um, to their heart and mm. I, I remember people writing to me when they heard, you know, like I hope you don't fuck this film up. And people People I knew that <laughs> never even mentioned reading a book to me, people I, I didn't even think could read, you know. Uh, I remember getting, I actually remember after the film came out and being on a, a bus to some festival and some, Someone from a band coming up to me and, and just saying "You fucked the road up," and I was like, "What?" Like, <laughs> oh Jesus. man, you know. Like, I mean, it was it was <laughs> interesting that book because it it, it it spoke to people in such a direct way, yeah. And people had had a, such a personal thing on it, and I th- I think making a film about that book was always going to be difficult because people had opinions about it so <laughs> yeah. strongly, yeah. But you know again again with, with with you know like I think it was like the third film that we'd done and and John wanted this kind of sort of simple music to offset the kind of the dreariness and to, to and and to also to sort of like support this kind of this what's just what is a beautiful love story mm. Mm-hmm um about care and it seems incredible, <laughs> incredibly prescient at the moment yeah um the simple things of caring and 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 being safe you know interesting we 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 performed the our scores in australia in december yeah for the first time and how was that it was unbelievable it was like it felt like just a dream like Mm. the most surreal dream that suddenly the most extraordinary thing had sort of taken flight over 15 years this collaboration you know of, of, of pieces that we go in and work and then move on and work and move on and, you know, play shows and do the bad seeds. And this sort of catalogue of music had been building up that, you know, I knew it was there but I didn't anticipate the sort of um, what would happen when it was played by, you know, a 100-piece orchestra and a 40-piece choir and to see these little ideas suddenly played by an orchestra that we'd made, you know, just in – in little studios and things like that to suddenly see this new life blown into them mm-hmm. and to be standing there playing with them. It was just like, uh, I mean, you know, I think I must have shed a tear every night uh-huh. I think playing it was and looking at Nick to see his face as well, you know, and, and like it was so moving. And, and, and actually what what, <laughs> what was incredible <laughs> was uh, the stuff from the road was just so extraordinary. Up there so because great. They had it projected from the, from the films, I had images. So we, we played a series of suites from six films. It was a sort of 90-minute thing with no interval. And um, the road images were extraordinary. But we were in Sydney performing them at the Opera House, and it's when the, the bushfires were on. So oh, wow. for 10 days we were under this haze of smoke that was so sort of apocalyptic. It was terrifying. It's the first time up until now that this sense of – a power greater than anything Mm. was suddenly like forced upon everybody. And being in Sydney then where you couldn't see the sky like it was a sunset all day and you're not prepared for how that shifts your emotions Mm. and, you know, sirens going off all the time and alarms because the smoke is setting it off and being in the hotel and it smells like smoke and your instinct is to run. But it's just because the whole city smells of smoke. So it, it was quite strange wandering to the, through this sort of landscape, and then seeing the same thing up on the screen. It was yeah, very, it was very strange, but it it was like a, it was just an absolutely extraordinary experience, and such a privilege and honour to 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 play um, to hear these people play this music and to play with them.
1: A different live experience for you, then would you say, than you've had before?
2: To playing in bands, yeah, it was because generally a band is on your terms. You turn up, you know that you know. Like I've played with Dirty Three for almost thirty years now. You know, like I've played from her to eternity for twenty-five years with <laughs> the Bad Caesar You know, like uh, you know, there is some material that that you know, and that gives you a safety net, and you also know that you are up there, and you know these people up there, and and there's there's a sort of confidence in that and there's yeah. a kind of, um, you know, this is very different because we'd only ever played the music once when it was recorded. So we had to sit down and learn somehow how to play this stuff with an orchestra. So I had to sit with my iPhone and learn from memory and write in an exercise book just like letters and stuff because I, I can't write. I can read music but I haven't done it for so long and mm. I couldn't read a score now. <laughs> I mean, you know, I couldn't sit and play along. To a, I'd be lost. So basically, Nick and I had to just sort of learn from memory this ninety-minute sort of thing, and so there was a lot, a lot of problems <laughs> that could have and could have been associated with it. You know, speaking, you feel like you're jumping into the unknown. Yeah. And and um, yeah, it it was actually very different because we we're on their their ground, we we're on their terms, because you know it's a group of a hundred plus people. Yeah you've never played with before and and it was just sort of like unique of course, you know, but everyone else i didn't know and and it was actually amazing it was <laughs> it was um sort of mind boggling and f- very different in a way yeah um to you know I've played for thirty years i guess now alive you know and and still am nervous when i play you know and and I like that you know I still yeah. you know I still like how does this go again or <laughs> can we do this again it constantly sort of comes up you know like before each tour and then you sort of get back into it but yeah yeah this was this was actually very different um there was a lot of unknowns and wonderfully it all sort of came together in the most beautiful way
1: yeah oh man I wish I'd seen that I wish I'd seen that hopefully when we get through this current apocalypse we can come out the other side and you guys might do some more of that that would be amazing
2: yeah at the moment there's a sort of rescheduled and that you know uh, with with what's going on you know yeah. the, the decision was you know it was obvious that it it, it was just impossible to to do a tour yeah. at the moment i mean you know there's uh, definitely a thought to do more shows like this like uh, with the orchestra and and there's an and interest you know like there's orchestras all over the place mm-hmm. that sort of wanted to do it
1: how did you choose what films and pieces of music you would include was that an easy thing to decide
2: it was actually uh the production in in melbourne uh that came up with the idea to do this it was a a young guy who had this idea to put it all together and so i sat down and looked at it and it's such a kind of big catalog now Mm. you know there's i don't know how many films but there's quite a lot and so yeah it was kind of you know just leaving leaving it actually in there with them because they they came up with a a list when they presented this they said you know this is a potential list of material and and um, we looked at it and a lot of it seemed really good and we made a few suggestions and then in discuss- then when the arranger stepped in you know we started fine tuning it and things like that but it was actually good to have you know it's good to let things out of your hands and let let other people do it and delegate and yeah. and, and actually it was really good because they were able to find a way into it that we probably couldn't. You know, we would go, oh, this, this. And I mean, you know, ultimately we sort of like had the overview of it, but it was predominantly them who sort of suggested what what might be, what might work. And also they had a good idea for how to make sweets out of each film. So there was like a sort of 15, 20 minute suite from each film that just segued into one another. And they had a good idea of, the shape, the, the, a good shape for that. And, and actually, you could see they had an idea for a shape for the program. You know, it started with the proposition, then it, it kind of moved into west of Memphis, then it went into the road, and then it went into Hell or High Water. Brilliant. Wind River, and then Jesse James to finish off, and halfway through the show, the choir joined in, you know, from Hell or High Water onwards. Then the choir were involved in Jesse James. So the, by the time "Song for Bob" happened, it was just <laughs> like, you know, it was actually interesting because you could, you know, the dynamics of an orchestra is so different. It's not about volume and amplification, which every band I'm in is basically about that, which is why I'm deaf. <laughs> but it's it's really, a, you know, it's just about like turn up and away you go. And I mean, we've changed a bit over the years, and but uh, but um. This is actually, the, the, you know, it's all this acoustic sound on stage, which is extraordinary. Physical effect on you? It's so physical. You feel it through you. You feel it through your legs. Like you feel it through your body. It's, it's incredible. Nothing, you know, like I, I've used strings a lot now in films, and, and uh, it's still always like a miracle when you hear them start up in the studio. Like there's nothing like that sound of you know 20 string players or sort of 60 piece string section playing you know, there's nothing like it it can't be kind of recreated with the plugins or recordings like it. when you feel that actual physical energy in the room it's extraordinary and so to be actually standing there with that was incredible but the dynamics could get down so quiet you know like in the road you would hear people sobbing in the audience it was really extraordinary
1: We've had David Mishad and David McKenzie on the podcast and they both talked very highly of their experience of of working with, with you guys on War Machine and Hell of Hell or High Water. Um and I loved Hell or High Water. I loved that film. So great. I wish it kind of been I wish more people had seen it, but hopefully they can now.
2: Yeah, it, d- d- working with David was fantastic, um, both Davids actually. We had a run of Davids at one point. We had, we had, we had uh, <laughs> David Earl who we did the Albert Camus book, Far From Men, the short story with Nina yeah, Morganson yeah. and Reda Kateb. Then we had David McKenzie and then David Michaud. It was like three Davids. I don't know what was going on.
1: <laughs> the David Trilogy. It was. It
2: was the David Trilogy. Um, yeah, they, they were fabulous to work with, uh, really, really, really fabulous. Michaud is, is – uh, David Micho is extraordinarily precise. Him, Andrew Dominic, uh, extraordinary uh, as well, like his sense – of sound and music is is just extraordinary, and Micho as well. David Micho is is like just such an absolute pleasure to be around and work with, yeah. because he's just like he blows my mind. You know, I, I I love that guy dearly. He's so articulate and so precise, and and can point out things that you just don't even think of. Mm let's move this back two frames, and you're like, what? You know, there's this pre- precision that's kind of, yeah, it's really amazing. And, and Denise, who I did Mustang with, she's another person that I'd just go over a cliff with. She's uh. She's, uh, she's extraordinary the way she can articulate things. Uh, and f- working with her, I... I, I, I learned some really invaluable lessons
1: that score was was i mean you know you got quite rightly sort of a couple of awards for that score for mustang which was just yeah i mean
2: with that film was just such a such a beautiful film i'd been on tour uh with nick in, in australia playing shows and i'd actually what happened was i'd met her husband at a wedding and, <laughs> and uh we had a mutual friend and the, uh, we exchanged numbers because he said oh when she's in town i'll text you and we, let's have a coffee together you know it'd be a laugh and he texted me in when i was in australia and said um actually my wife has made a film and she and she'd love you to see it and and she to to show it to you and and i was i said well look i'm in australia i'm on tour i'm not back until mid-january so in the meantime She contacted me and said, look, you know, I can show you this edit that I'm working on. And it was, I guess it was the end of January. And um, I went in and she was about to have a baby. And she just put the film on and walked out. (laughs) And I watched the first sort of five minutes and it just sort of was so breathtaking, those Mm. running through the, it it was so incredible. And the film finished and, and then she sort of came in and started talking about what she wanted and I said, listen, Denise, I have to be honest with you, I have no time to do this. And I think they had a budget of like 1,200 euros and there was like orchestral score and stuff. It was a lot of stuff temp with our music and it was orchestral and I just said, you know, I've got to go on, back out on tour again and like this film deserves better than somebody Aww. that can't give you any time, you know, like... You need to be able to work with someone closely and, and 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 she just looked at me and, you know, she's like, I don't know what to do because I can't imagine anybody else doing it. And I just oh, said, man. I'm, I'm really sorry but I can't, you know. I have to say no because it's like unfair of me to agree to this and then lead it, you know, because you know with these things they want stuff and you can't do it and it's not fair on anyone. You know, I was trying to do the right thing. So she just, she just said okay and walked out. And then I just sort of went home and felt so horrible because saying no is quite hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and then I was working on a <clears throat> a short film with Reda Kateb, who's a French actor who was in Far From Men, and he's uh, he he was in Spiral, that great. Yeah, uh, he, he's Mister Assi. He's he's like <laughs> kind of the, the greatest bad guy to see. <laughs> and uh, fabulous actor. He's he's a fabulous, fabulous actor, and. Um, I was doing music for his short film and I was kind of bummed because I'd said no. And he goes, no, you're right. You can't agree to things, you know, and just leave everybody confused. And he goes, you're right, you know. Like he said, you know, I'm not doing any film now except for this film on Django Reinhardt. And Mm -hmm. I'm learning how to play guitar and uh, I just want to do this right. You know, I'm not doing anything for 12 months except this. And he, then he said to me, I'm doing this because it's a first director, first to film, and the energy that's in that, you just don't get anywhere else. And as soon as he said that, I knew it was like this was what was, was incredible about Mustang was that it had this energy yeah. that was just and this love you could sense in it. So I found a, a piece that I'd done for something else and I sent it to Denise and I said, look, you know, can we have a see, see what you can do with this? And she called me. And um, said, "Come and have a look." And I went and had a look, and I said, "Okay, if that's a way you think we can work, then I'm up for it." I have like six days or something. Wow. And so, and yeah, and that's where that's. I just. What a great yeah. story. Yeah, I sat in the sort of the stu- well, the studio that I'm isolated in now, <laughs> in the back of the. the um, I I just sat in there and worked out how I you know with sitting with Jake I'd sort of. Watched a bit of Pro Tools going on and all that, so <laughs> yeah. worked out a kind of way of Frankensteinian way of doing Pro Tools and um, sort of made this the score for it. But really, just like just throwing music down and then sending it to her. And uh, eventually, we edited. We we actually mixed it over Skype, and and uh, she was editing. She had the baby. Wow. She kept editing. I walked in the next time I saw her. She was sort of like had this sort of like one week old baby on her hip and still editing and and, um, and then uh, we would mix when we mixed it would be on Skype and she would say now when she walks through there take the bass out now bring it in when the door opens you know <laughs> like it was all done like that and, and it, it's still to this day one of the sort of most extraordinary experiences I've ever had doing something.
1: And then you wow. did Django as well off the back of that. Yeah, I did Django as
0: well <laughs> on the back of that and I was working with Redder and it was so funny, you know. Like, and then I ended
2: up doing the sort of requiem for, for that Django film. Yeah, it was an incredible moment of serendipity, all that stuff. Yeah. And it was all connected to a couple of people, you know. Redder was in there, suddenly he's in that film. Mm. And, you know, I had lunch with Redder the other day just before all this kicked off. I left my scarf at his house and he mailed it to me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, I've just started writing letters to people as well Just because getting something through the post is kind of just, it's, it's like It's the simple things now that seem so important yeah. It's, yeah
2: Well, I guess, yeah, the post is shut down as of today here Oh, has it? Um, yeah, last week you couldn't send anything if you didn't have a stamp And now it's closed Here on the news they're asking for Any people with medical experience to please come and help um,
1: Oh, Warren, crikey
2: yeah, it's 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 uh, very surreal.
1: Mm, yeah, um,
2: it feels important to be talking about things. Uh, you know, it's why I wanted to do this interview. Thank um, you. It's it's kind of important that we tried that things can go on too, and but but also you know that you know I hope everybody does the right thing by this because it, it's an extraordinary moment. Are you, you right, writing? Yeah. I, well, I am. Yeah, I've, I, I'm. I'm kind of actually yeah i've got some things i'm working on most things have been shut down for me or, or rescheduled you know but i yeah. i'm I'm working on two films and and uh one of those was shut down but uh, I've been making music before they do it it's for this extraordinary director Lucille Hadzilovich,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um who did uh, evolution and innocence she, yeah. she, she's she's a fabulous director and um I sort of have been putting music together and in a different way actually and and, um, she originally only thought she'd have one piece and I sent her sort of like about 15 ideas and she said it sort of informed how she wants to sort of film it but then the the filming got sort of suspended but she's been listening to these sort of soundscapes that I've been sending her and she said that it's actually – made her think about filming so it might have a different place in it the the oh, wow. the, the music yeah so i'm i'm sort of you know getting things together for that and and um i also there's another one i was working in 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 the in with Jake and Nick actually on 10 days ago in London
1: oh man shit schedules
2: yeah I, it was yeah uh, and then i i kind of went and I, I sort of when i realized what was going on I, I went down to to get my son from sussex and and uh Bring him back.
1: Yeah, you surround yourself with wonderful people because we, we were lucky enough to speak to Jake for the podcast as well. And he, the smile on that ma- man's face, yeah, can, like, brighten up anyone's day. What a wonderful yeah. human being he is.
2: Yeah, he's, yeah, Jake's great. Jake's sort of, you know, we've, like I said, done every film with with him except for one, uh, which was that Lawless film. Yeah, Jake, we have a it's a great working relationship with him because we just pick up where we were and, and we have a system and we developed a way of working together as well where we just do everything now, the three of us, me, Nick and Jake, sit and edit it, put it in, then it gets up to the director, they just chuck it out or throw it away or whatever. But, you know, we, we kind of have, have worked, developed this thing that's very lean now, uh, this process. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, but and then I, I think what i the, about projects like Mustang and, and this train I ride and, and Bad Girl and these things that I do that, that actually give me a, even a greater independence beyond that have been really informative for other stuff th- that I do with the bands, you know, like in the way that Nick and I work together, it changes, you know, it changes all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's always about just stepping into the sort of unknown and seeing what happens, you know. We just sit down and... <laughs> you know right through to every the last thing ghosting, or, or it's it's a uh, i think i think people that you know that bring out what's hopefully the best in you yeah. um when you're with them it, it allows this sort of zone where you know that you can fail and you know that you can try anything because there's no fear of embarrassment or anything like that i mean it it's yeah. just and it, it's a kind of – and it's really important, I think, for, for the, the whole creative process for that to happen, particularly in, in the, the way that we're working, you know. Uh, I think it's probably different when you're a writer or you're sitting on your own doing stuff or you're an artist or, or, or whatever. But with this, it's, you know, it's actually when you're surrounded by people, you need to be allowed to be vulnerable and, and allow yourself to kind of shine and allow yourself to sort of just totally plummet. and yeah. You know, I'm only as good as the people that are around me. I I I, I like the working with people that draw things out of me.
1: I can't believe it's um, six years ago. Since I don't know if you remember, but I was lucky enough to be asked to host a wonderful night at the Barbican for twenty thousand days on Earth, oh. where it was such a brilliant night. So they showed the film, and Ian and Jane were there, and you and Nick did a couple of songs with some other of the band, and then. Uh, Ray Winston came up on stage and we did a bit of a and a with him I mean it was such a bonkers and brilliant night and such a great way to enthuse about that film which in itself was such a unique entity because it wasn't one thing or the other and I was talking to someone about it the other day who hadn't seen it I was like oh my god you have to see it. it's such a clever piece of filmmaking
2: yeah it is really good it, it, it's um <clears throat> yeah it's it's a it's a really great great piece of filmmaking
1: yeah, Ian and Jane are great. And um, listen, I'm going to let you go. Um, I've got to go and get uh, ready for my uh, geography lesson with my eleven-year-old.
2: Oh, <laughs> and so you're getting on all right?
1: Yeah, we're fine. We're kind of, um, you know, we're we're very lucky. Touchwood, we've not we've not kind of had any ma- anything major. We I, I think couple, My husband and I are both sure we've had it, but in very yeah. very kind of um, mild. Case of it, but you know, just taking advice and being sensible and looking after others. And
2: are check- you just like, are you sort of isolating? And yeah, yeah, we're yeah. we're
1: locked down in the house, and and you know, if our neighbours, we've got elderly neighbours close yeah. by, so we're just checking in on them, making sure they're okay. And
2: yeah, good. It's, it's that great. That this thing. sort of this thing that it's brought out in people, we've lost this sense of community, and it's yeah. coming back, and it's that's extraordinary.
1: I'm going to but- have a virtual night at the pub with my friends tonight. We're all going <laughs> to. We're going to get on a house party on the the app and have a few drinks together and catch up that way. So, I'm
2: no, how that goes, yeah. Well, have a mouth, have a have a mouthful for me. What?
1: Well, yeah, I will. I'll have a gallon. Um,
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm Scottish. It's in
2: my blood. Um, I, I have great memories of Scotland in the late late eighties. I lived. You spent there.
1: a bit of time there, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I, I sort of cut my teeth playing on the streets there and living on a whiskey distillery and. <laughs> So it's why you know, yeah, I, I, I have a, a real um, a fondness for, for for Scotland.
1: It's a pretty special place. I get um, yeah, it's fabulous. I get withdrawal symptoms from not getting up there um, as much yeah. as I'd like to, but um, it's a it's a special place. Well, listen, um, Warren. <coughs> take care i hope you and yeah you you too, of, uh, and it's you so know. great to chat to you and yeah much if, we're, if we're still here in a, a month maybe we can catch up again and, and fabulous yeah. Yeah. Time. all right Many you time. take care thank Alrighty, you so much
2: take care Bye-bye. Yeah, lots bye bye
1: The score to this train I ride, that's Mystery Train by Warren Ellis, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the Australian composer and musician. My huge thanks to Warren for taking the time to talk to us from his studio in these most troubled of times. If nothing else, now provides the perfect opportunity to revisit his back catalogue with his score for this trainer ride available via our very good friends at Invader Records. Head to edithbowman.com to hear my chats with David McKenzie, David Michaud and Jake Jackson. And please do subscribe whilst you're there. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Next up, it is Isabel Wallerbridge who joins me to discuss her score for Emma amongst many other things. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Meantime, please stay safe.